Welcome back to the first episode of Coming Out Stories for 2023. I'm Emma Goswell and I'm your host and the podcast is brought to you from What Goes On Media. If you're new to us, we pretty much do what we say on the tin. We bring you real people from the LGBTQ plus community who are happy to share intimate conversations and talk about their lives. This episode, we're off to the States to meet Mark Chestnut. He's a travel writer who lives in New York. He identifies as being a gay man, and I started by asking him when he realised that he was gay. I'm not sure if I, if I can say the exact year. Since the 1980s, it would have been the mid-1980s, I suppose, because I'm getting up there in years. And um, before that, I identified briefly as, as bisexual, and before that... I didn't know, I was an undeclared major before that. I didn't really know what, what, what I might be. As you know, a lot of people in their teens were, were still working out exactly what their identity might be. <laughs> yeah. So tell us what it was like then growing up. Um, was this in New York where you're based now? Um, it was in New York State, but not New York City. So I live mm. in New York City now, which is, you know, the largest city in the United States. And it's like kind of like its own world. Uh, where I grew up was a small town of just 8,000 people in western New York State. So it's about six hours from New York City. Wow. And culturally and linguistically, it has more in common with Cleveland, Ohio. It's, in, it's on the Great Lakes. It's near Rochester and Buffalo and Niagara Falls. So culturally, it's it has nothing to do basically with New York City. And also, I think in terms of attitudes towards LG, LGBTQ issues, especially back then when I was growing up. Now, mm. the, world, the world has progressed quite a bit. So, but when I was growing up, you know, and we didn't have representation in the media or anything, it wasn't a place where you could easily just reach out and, and contact people or find role models or, or guidance or anything like that. So you didn't know any other gay people, did you, or, or did you? No. Well, I mean, I, I kind of did, but without it being acknowledged, because uh, strangely enough, my, my uncle was gay, and he was, he was a, a grown-up, obviously, and he was a celebrity astrologer in the 1960s. Amazing. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, I was much, much, much younger than him. So I only remember really hanging out with him once in Kentucky, our family's home state, and I was probably about seven. And I knew that he was different. You know how when you're young, you can sense things, even if you don't fully understand them. Like I grew up, I always knew that he was different from the rest of the family, but I didn't understand exactly why. And I thought he was really interesting because astrologer, wow, that's an interesting occupation. And as I got older, I realized like I learned he did like readings for Princess Grace of Monaco and Prince Rainier and- Wow. Things. So I wish I'd known him better because I'd like to write a book about him or something because he sounds interesting, but I didn't really know him. So he wasn't a role model for me. I yeah. didn't, we didn't talk about anything like that. Something about astrologers that is quite quirky and flamboyant, isn't it really? Yes. I think <laughs> it can attract some flamboyance. I agree. Yes. Yeah. But um, was, was it somewhere where you were growing up where there might've been gay bars or there might've been somewhere for you to have some sort of support community or not really? In the town where I grew up, no, because it was just 8,000 people. In the city of Rochester, New York, um, there were gay bars. I didn't go to them until after I went to college. And I went away to college in a different city, in Albany, New York, which is the capital of the state of New York. So after I went away to college, I started exploring more and, you know, investigating who I might be. And so yeah. when I came back to Rochester, you know, on holidays and, and things to visit family, then I did, I believe I went to my first gay bar in Rochester when I was in college and visiting from a, the other city. 
Now, tell me this, because I went to a gay bar that was in Philadelphia once in the 1990s, and people were mm. line dancing, and it made me just like, it was, it was like a culture shock to me. I was like, is this what happens in gay bars in, in America? Is that what they do? They all go line dancing. Was this just one bar that I went to? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's that common. I've seen it more like in Texas, I think it might be more common. You know, that's yeah. like a Western or, or Southwestern thing. Um, yeah, I've seen it in gay bars in the United States but very, very seldom. Yes. So, so definitely don't judge your judge everything just based on that one experience. I don't know how to mind dance, although I'd kind of like to, I wouldn't mind learning. Yeah. It looks fun. doesn't it? Um, Let's rewind a little bit then, Mark. I feel like we've gone, we've gone fast forward, but let's rewind to being a kid or being a teenager. You mentioned that you had a sense about your uncle being different. Did you have a sense about yourself being different in any way? Yes, for sure. Because I always felt like I didn't really fit in and that wasn't just, uh, a matter of, you know, my sexual orientation or attra- being attracted to boys or anything like that. Even before I had an idea I was attracted to boys, I felt like it didn't fit in for various reasons. I mean, I couldn't play sports. You know, I walked funny. So some kids made fun of me for, for walking funny. Um, then other random things like my family was Democrat, liberal, my mother and, and, and my family. And we were the only ones in a prom- primarily Republican conservative town. Right. You know, so it stood out in that way. I was the only one. My family was was from the South, even though we lived in, in the North. And so we were different in that way. And then in the South, in Kentucky, when I visit, I was the only Northern one. So wherever I went, I always felt like I didn't quite fit in. So it was always the norm, still is. <laughs> it's it's a common thing for LGBT people, it really is. Even before mm. you understand your identity, you just feel like you don't fit in, I think, really. But did that get externalised in any way in terms of, did anyone bully you for it? Did they notice that you weren't fitting in? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, I did get bullied. I have to say it wasn't as bad as what some kids have gone through. But, you know, fortunately for me, I mean, I got bullied. I got called names. I got called gay and faggot and things like that. And people, you know, kids, mostly boys, every now and then a girl too, but mostly boys would make fun because of me because I could, you know, I sucked at sports. I was horrible at sports. And, and I just, you know, I, I wasn't masculine enough. You know, I was, uh, I don't know how feminine I was, but I was not overly masculine either. So, yeah, I got I got bullied and I got threatened with being to with being beaten up. But luckily for me, it never actually came to fruition. I never got physically harmed um, mm. other than maybe a push or two. But it was hard. You know how it is for anyone who goes through bullying when they're a kid. It's a difficult thing. And especially if you don't even know who you, you are yourself yet fully, it makes it harder for you to stand up for yourself, I think. Right. Yeah, it's such a common story. It's like people get bullied before they even realise that they're gay. Somehow the bullies pick up on any little signs or stereotypes, what they think is gay, and they will attack you. Yeah. And at first I thought, you know, when when I first heard of the gay, the term gay, it was only applied to like, oh, you don't, you can't kick the the football, so you you're gay. And so I originally thought like, okay, so gay means that you're that you're not good at sports. You know, so it was confusing. And back then there was no internet, so I couldn't easily educate myself. <laughs> so when did it sort of dawn on you then that um, you were being attracted to, to your own gender? Um, I knew it in in probably as early as seventh seventh grade, I would say. But I didn't know what it meant, you know. And since, again, without internet access and, and being too ashamed to go to a library to look things up and having no one to talk to, I didn't know exactly what that meant. And so I didn't feel like I was equipped to say, okay, well, this means that I'm a certain way. 
I knew that I was attracted to men, but I thought maybe I was kind of attracted to women too. And so when I went away to college, I actually had a girlfriend for a year and a half almost. Wow. Because I just felt that I felt like I couldn't say for certain who I was if I hadn't tried, you know, to, you know, explored the possibilities. For me, it was more of an evolution. It took me a while to get around to it. Maybe I'm just a little slow. <laughs> <laughs> I was the same. Don't worry, Mark. Um, so did, when you finished with her, did you did you have to say, it's not you, it's me, I'm definitely gay, and that's why I'm finishing with you, or did you just go, nah, this isn't working out? Actually, after we'd been together for a year, I took a trip to visit my one of my best high school friends in Ohio. He was going to school there, and he took me to he took me to my first gay bar, and it kind of just opened my eyes. And I also fooled around with a guy while I was there in Ohio too. Oh, and was that the first time? No, but it was my first time as like post high school, like semi grown up. You know what I mean? It was. Yeah. Different. It wasn't like hidden with some school friend. It was more like grownups, we were in college. So when I went back to Albany to college, to university, I realized, okay, it's not working out in terms of me just having a girlfriend. So I told my girlfriend and I said, I'm not sure what's going on exactly. I don't know where I'm gonna end up, but you know, I just feel like you should know that I'm definitely you know, bisexual at the very least. I assumed that she would break up with me. And she said, well, she was wonderful. She's an amazing person. So she actually said, well, you know, that's okay. You know, I understand, you know, let's just play it by ear and, you know, we don't have to break up or anything. So we stayed together another six months. And then I broke up with her because I'm like, okay, you know what? I think I'm just gay. <laughs> but she was wonderful. I was so lucky to be with, with someone who was so understanding and patient. So she is a wonderful person. Well, are you still in contact? We haven't been in touch in, she kind of dropped off social media and like some people do and perhaps wisely. So we haven't been in touch in a few years, but we did stay in touch and I've seen her, you know, within the past 10 or 12 years, we've gotten together. So yes. Oh, fab. So you mentioned fooling around at school. Was that um, your first same sex experience was um, with a school friend, was it? Yes, that must've been the case. But you know how it is when you're in grade school, it's not, it's not the same as having an adult experience where it can inform your identity in an educational way. It's more just like, there's an urge and you do it. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> Not a long-term meaningful relationship then. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, so you, you said you came out as bisexual initially. Who, who did you, apart from your girlfriend, who else did you come out to then? No one in my family at that point, because I felt like I had to wait. I, like I still felt like I wasn't sure what the permanent mm. identity would be. And I felt like with my family, I needed to be like have a press release almost that where everything was laid out and clear since I was still working it out. The only other people I came out to a few, a few friends at college at university and a few friends from high school that I was still in touch with. And then also my sweet mates, we, in the dorms we lived in, in, um, at university in Albany, we had suites. And so I, I lived with five, five guys. And so I told all of them, and they were also amazing. I have, they're all straight and they still are straight and we're still friends. So I have to say in several ways, I just really, really lucked out with wonderful, wonderful people who made, you know, my gradual progression so much easier and, and stress-free. <laughs> I'm guessing like most people that you suss out before you come out to people, don't you? But yes. Especially if you live with them, you know, you've still got to live with them, haven't you, if it goes badly. But I guess you're, you're quite a good judge of character and you go, oh, I think it's okay to come out to these guys. I guess that right. went Yeah, on. Yeah, it's true. You can kind of get a, get a feel because based on how they act towards other people or things they say, yeah, there are ways that you can try to read 
a person's potential reaction. You still never know for sure, but I think, yeah, I I wasn't super nervous that the, any any of them were going to be totally homophobic or you know try to kick me out or anything. So so it's mm. it's true. Mm. And what about family then? I mean, do you have siblings? I have one sister and she's quite a bit older than me because I was like a surprise child or an accident child. So my parents were, were older when they had me. So she she left for, for college, for university when I started kindergarten. So I don't remember living with her. We were semi-close, I'd say, but I didn't share any of that part of the progression with her. We weren't at that point. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned that you felt like you had to do a press release to tell tell your, um, <laughs> tell your mother. Um, how did it go with your mother in the end then? Because I think um, I'm right in saying your father had passed by this stage. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. He passed away when I was when I was four years old. So that made that part easier because I, I, I know that some people have a really hard time coming out to their father in particular. Mm. But so the one good thing about him being dead is I didn't have to worry about that. So I just had, had my mother. I practiced first. I had a practice run by coming out to my sister first. She was totally cool with it. But she also said, I don't think you should tell our mother because she's old and i don't think she'll understand it and i don't think i don't think it'll go well but i didn't follow her advice because i felt like well this is who i am like can't, i can't i can't just say all right i'm never going to tell her you know it didn't make sense for me to not come out to her i mean she was kind of reserved in in many ways so we didn't talk about every little detail of our lives but i was close enough to her that i felt like i can't hold back on you know, who I am, because I hope to be in a long term relationship someday. And, you know, and I am now. And so I didn't want to, like, hide such an integral part of my identity from my own mother. So how did it go? First of all, I, I, I wimped out and put it off several times. Every time I went home for, for a, a holiday to visit my family from from university, I said to myself, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it now. And I never did. Finally, on Christmas Eve, just to make it more dramatic, I guess, of course, I had to pick Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, everyone, everyone else in the family who was visiting and staying in my mother's home, they'd already gone to bed. And it was just my mother and me in the in the living room. And she, and she was lying on the couch watching TV. And so I was so nervous. I couldn't even look at her or be in the same room. So I walked into the kitchen and I was standing in the kitchen with the refrigerator door open for some reason, staring in the refrigerator, not at anything in particular, but I was shaking because I, I'm like, I have to tell her now, but I couldn't look at her. So I, in, from the kitchen, I said, I have something to tell you. And she said, what? And I said, I'm gay. And so I'm like standing there tense and she's underreacted completely because I thought, you know, like in movies or books, there's, you know, some stories or, you know, personal experiences you hear about parents say, you know, red faces and tears and get out of my house and that sort of thing. She was just quiet for, you know, a few seconds. And then she said, well, if that's the, if that's how you feel, then I'm glad you told me and I'll always love you. And that was it. Wow. You know, I was kind of shocked, although I guess I shouldn't have been because my mother was always the kind of person she was Southern. And it's part of like for some people, Southern manners is that you avoid confrontation and avoid conflict and especially in her age group. So she underreacted, which was nice in a way. But then at the same time, she never wanted to talk about it again. So I already oh, okay. said to force it to, to bring it up again. So meanwhile, you know, you're, you're listening to this reaction while stood in the kitchen looking at the cheese right. uh, or, or other items in your fridge. <laughs> and then did you go back into the lounge and see her reaction face to face eventually? Yes, I did go in. And after she it was clear that she was, you know, underreacting, as I describe it, um, I went in and, and I sat down next to her and I said, 
you know, oh, you know, I was so nervous about telling you, I didn't know how you'd react. And thank you for, for, you know, for being this way. And I, if you ever want to have questions, I don't want you to worry about me. If you have questions, you can tell me, blah, blah, blah. And she just kind of like glossed over with her response. It was kind of like, it was the end of the conversation, you know, like she wasn't going to have any questions and there was nothing more to say. She just said something along the lines of like, don't worry about anything. Now, can you get me a Coca-Cola? Something like that. Yeah. And this was in the 80s, was it? Or was it a bit after? That's, cor that's correct. I think yeah. maybe like 1985 or something like that. Yeah. Which, let's face it, certainly in the UK, wasn't a great time to be gay. You, you know, you're right in the midst at the beginning of the AIDS pandemic there, aren't you? That's true. So, And I'm sure she never said it because she didn't talk that much in depth about the topic. But I'm sure that was something that would occur to any parent, especially back then. You know, they find out their son is gay and gay men were the number one a uh, group of people that were affected by by the AIDS epidemic. So I'm sure that was something. And I, I wish that she brought up concerns like that. So I could have, you know, made her feel better, but she didn't. And so there's only so much I could do. And did things change over the, the coming months or years? Did, did she start talking about it more or that was it really? She just was like, don't mention the war. Yeah, it was it was more or less like that. <laughs> Don't yeah. mention the war. But I did I did bring it up because I felt not on a regular basis, not every time we spoke or every time, you know, every day or anything when we were together. But I did feel like it was my duty in a way to to bring it up sometimes to keep the dialogue open. And I sent her a book. There was a book that came out, I think, in the 1980s called Now That You Know, that's written for parents by a psychologist okay. or psychiatrist. And I thought it was a really good book. So I sent that to her. Um, I don't know if she ever read it, but she said she received the book and thank you very much. And that was it. I, I felt almost like, you know how, as if you're a parent, I assume I'm not a parent, but if you're a parent, you know, they sometimes will, a parent will sometimes push their children a little bit further than they want to go so that they can learn and become a better person. You know, I feel like my mother was like that with me. And so in a way, it was a little bit of role reversal because I felt like I knew my mother was resistant to talking about it or to learning about, you know, LGBTQ identities. But I felt like I had to just push her a little bit more than she wanted to go for her own good and for my good and the good of our relationship. So I wasn't, you know, really confrontational or anything like that. But I did just try to I sent her articles and things like that. And every now and then I'd bring stuff up. I didn't bring up guys I was dating or anything uh, for a long time because I again kind of like the press release approach that I that <laughs> I wanted I wanted to I didn't want to bring up relationships if I didn't know it was going to last a long time because again I didn't want her to worry like number one I think some concern I always heard that some parents think if you're if you're gay you're going to be alone for the rest of your life especially back then they think that I think now mm -hmm. it's not common so I didn't want her to think I'd be alone for the rest of my life and I didn't want her to see her to see me jumping around dating a bunch of different guys while I'm finding that Mr. Right because also with the AIDS crisis, I didn't want her to think like, oh, I'm mm. running around, you know, having sex with 50,000 guys and I'm going to get AIDS or something. So, uh, And um, did you find a significant one in the end? Did you ever introduce her to anyone? Yes, yes. So um, I've had four really serious boyfriends. And so she knew about three of them, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so she knew about the three most recent ones. And she met the last one who I've been with for 31 years and he's my <gasps> husband now. So, so it all that had, yes! had a, so that had a very happy ending. And I think his presence really helped her a lot because I think, you know, being gay or being lesbian or being, you know, queer or bisexual, or whatever, it's a concept. And so it's so abstract in a way, I think people who've never been exposed or educated about, about the subject, it's maybe hard for them to grasp like what it means exactly. But when you can associate it with, all right, you know, my son is gay, 
I don't understand exactly what it means or what his life is like. But then all of a sudden I have a, a serious boyfriend and you meet him and he's a super nice guy. He's nicer than I am. And so, <laughs> and he made such a great effort to like, you know, charm her and everything. I think that helped her because then it wasn't an issue. It was more like, all right, this is Mark's boyfriend at the time, Angel. And like, he's a great person and they're happy together and they take care of each other. So how can you not be happy about that as a mother, you know? So yeah. that helped. Well, yeah, I mean, you say it as an abstract concept. It should be fairly simple, shouldn't it, really? It's, it's, it, it should, should be. It should, should be about love, shouldn't it? You know, you love your boyfriend, and that's why you became husband and husband. And Right, right. How wonderful. Yeah, I think, I think it's hard for, hard for her and it's hard for some people, especially back mm. then, even more so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And did she, was she still around when you got married? Did, did she come? Yes, yes. She didn't come to the ceremony. Unfortunately, that was one thing that happened a little strangely. We, we got married. It wasn't a full ceremony. We just did. We went to the equivalent of the registry office in New York City, just my sister and my husband and I. And we did the paperwork and had the little ceremony with just three of us because we didn't want to. We, we've never been into the idea of like a huge wedding or anything like that. Yeah. But I did want to. I actually had wanted to do that in Rochester, where my mother was living, because I wanted to share that with her. And she kind of freaked out because she got really worried about like, well, what, which of her friends would she invite? And she was afraid her friends wouldn't be comfortable and all that stuff. When meanwhile, her friends are more, are younger than, were younger than her and more liberal than her. And they all knew Angel, <laughs> my, my husband to be too. It would have been okay, but she had a little freak out about it. And so my sister and her husband just said like, you know what? I don't think that it's a good idea because she's freaking out too much. But afterwards we did fly up, my husband and I, and and she took us out to lunch. So we had like a little post wedding celebration, but just my mother and my husband and I, that was it. But still how lovely and lovely that she was yeah. happy for you. And there was a happy ending essentially. Yes. Yeah. 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 It did. It did end, end well, I'd have to say. Yeah. And what about coming out to other people? I mean, you've talked about the most important people in your life, your family. Um, what about friends or colleagues? I know um, you're in the travel industry, you're a writer. So I guess right. that means you don't have that many colleagues or do you? I work from home and I'm freelance. So I don't mm. have like colleagues that I'm working near or, or that I see every day. Nowadays, it, I hardly see people in person that much anymore, but at events and on press trips. And when I travel, I do meet up with people. And basically everybody knows that I'm gay. And especially also, I, I like I like to make it even more obvious by, uh, I write about travel, but I write about LGBTQ plus travel. There are hetero people that write about that topic now, but it's more likely, I think if people are reading multiple articles by me about you know LGBTQ travel in Mexico or wherever it might be, I think they kind of assume, which is fine with me, that's good. <laughs> cool. How funny, so you are the second LGBTQ travel expert on this series of Coming Out Stories, and the other guy is a guy called Rob Staines, he's based in um, the UK, mm. and I asked him for his top tip of somewhere to go, Any, he could have picked anywhere in the world where people could go that was really LGBT friendly and a great place to go on holiday, and guess where he picked? Where? New York! Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. And, you know, I live in New York, and I wouldn't pick New York as my top recommendation <laughs> because it's too expensive and the people are, the people are obnoxious. Now, all right. We, I don't know if I can say that. Since I live here, I've been here for a while, I guess I'm allowed to say that. No, the people are fine. But, yeah, it's not my, it wouldn't be my first choice, uh, my first recommendation, but it is a great city. I mean, like, if you like London, you'll probably like New York because they're big cities, super cultural. There's so much to do and they're diverse and accepting and, and all of that. So that's good, I think. So where would you pick them? 
it's difficult to choose because there's so many wonderful destinations, obviously. I mean, I think the destinations in Europe, like the Netherlands and, and you know, Amsterdam and, and the UK, for example, obviously are so progressive and welcoming in France and Germany. So I think obviously those are great choices in terms of destinations that are super welcoming and, you know, respect equality and, and all of that. But but also, I mean, South Africa as well, actually, is was I think it was the first nation in the world to include LGBTQ equality in its constitution. I think they were right. ahead of everyone else because they drew up a new, a new constitution when they did away with apartheid. And they certainly had equal marriage before we had it here in the UK. So, yeah, very Right. Progressive. So I yeah. think South Africa, I've been twice. It's a very long trip <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for most of us that are listening probably. But I just think it's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful destination overall because to see the diversity there and the way they approached equality, they have a history of inequality in, in, in other ways too, you know, racially and ethnically. And so to see a country like that, that's reinvented itself, I just think is so exciting and refreshing. And mm. I just love it there. And I also, I specialize in Latin America. So I travel a lot in Latin America. So I love Mexico and Mexico yes. city actually is the most progressive city in Latin America. So Argentina was the first country to legalize same sex marriage, but Mexico city was before them as a city. They were the first city in Latin America to do so. So Mexico City is really cool. If you like London, if you like New York City, you love Mexico City because it has everything. It's even bigger than London and New York, and it's messy and dirty like New York, but it's wonderful. It's a wonderful mess. <laughs> also, you can get the best tacos in yes. the world. Oh, absolutely. That's what absolutely. my top reason for visiting Mexico. <laughs> so you spend your life writing about travel because you love travel, clearly. But um, mm. let's talk a little bit about your recent book, Prepare for Departure, because it is a departure from your normal writing. Right. And you've, you've chosen to write about your life, your memoirs, and, and, and coming out as part of that. Why, why did you decide to sort of change tactics, as it were, and write about yourself. Yeah, it is a departure. I really started it as therapy, self-therapy. Uh, it was a way of coping. My mother um, got started getting sick, and she and she was not doing well, and she had to move from assisted living to um, to a nursing home. So she was going downhill, and it was pretty clear that she wouldn't be living for much longer. So in the final months of her life, it was so emotionally difficult for me, and it was a lot of stress and strain because I, I became her primary person in, in charge of her care. Even She was at the nursing home, but I was overseeing everything. And so I guess because I was already a writer, my way of coping, because it was really difficult to deal with, was I would come home and just write everything that was happening to her, everything that was happening to me. So that's how the book started. But then as I was doing that, I started remembering things from our past about my mother's and lives, the, my mother's and my life together, about coming out, about when I was little and I put my foot in the cake and she got mad, you know, funny things and crazy <laughs> things. And so I started writing about that too, the positive things, the difficult things, everything started bubbling up. And then eventually that turned into the book. So I didn't set out to say, oh, I want to write a memoir. I want to write a book that's totally different from my travel writing. It just happened naturally, which is good, I think, because I had a message that I had to get out just naturally. It came out of me. And it's been really well received as well, hasn't it? I think so. It's gotten good, re good reviews so far. And um, yeah, and I, I love hearing from people because when I was writing it, I thought, well, I don't know if anyone would want to read this book. But then I realize now, because uh, I'm hearing from so many people, that people can relate to a lot of the themes. And one of the themes is like feeling like a misfit when you're a kid, because regardless of your orientation or your age or whatever, so many people felt like misfits when they were kids, when they were children. And so I'm hearing about that. And also people who, you know, who struggled with their sexual orientation, identity, 
and their gender identity and how they how they've come to find their place in the world because that's something that's in the book and then also finding your passions you know like because my passion was always travel and so it took me a while to figure out what my place in the world was you know as a gay man and also how I could do what I loved and make a living from it as a travel writer so it's that too and parent child relationships so yeah people seem to relate to a lot of issues in it which is really wonderful well, Mark, I always like to end the podcast with um, a bit of advice for people that maybe haven't come out or, you know, are struggling with coming to terms with their own gender or sexual orientation. What words of wisdom would you like to impart? What What do you wish you'd done differently, maybe? Well, one important point that I think I actually did right, so um, luckily, is that I think it's really important to feel that you have you have some emotional backup. You have an emotional support system in place before you come out to certain people, like perhaps your parents or family members or people that you're afraid you, you might be nervous that there could be a really difficult reaction or a situation that results from that. So I think it's good to know that however that that coming out process might happen might go go about with that one person you can turn to these other people who can support you who can say everything's going to be all right or you can be with us you know so i think i think that having some sort of emotional support whether it's friends or if it's an organization maybe you know there are obviously lots of organizations in the uk and in a lot of countries that can provide emotional and 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 logistical support so i think that's important I've also heard the tip, which I think could be practical and, 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 and helpful, is that some people say, you know, don't come out to your parents until you're no longer dependent on them if you think there's going to be a problem. I've, I've read that and heard that from other people. And I think sometimes that can make sense because if you come out and you get kicked out on the streets and you have nowhere to go, that could be very difficult. And I know that's happened. Unfortunately, that's happened way too often, hasn't it? Mm, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there's charities here in the UK and, and in America to, to help young people or, or anyone that's been thrown out of their houses um, because of their gender identity or sexuality. It's scary, right. but it, it does still happen. You know, and I think it was particularly hard during lockdown, actually, people, for people to come out if they were living in homophobic or transphobic households you know you just you couldn't have come out could you it just wouldn't have been safe to come out because you've got to be not just in that house but in that house 24 7. that's so, right yeah, yeah that really did change things the pandemic made things more complicated for a lot of people yeah yeah for sure anyway mark thank you so much for chatting to me that's probably everything i need to ask you really but where are you going on your next holiday my next holiday is not as exciting or exotic as, as some people might wish, um, but it, I'm going to Rochester, New York, which is my hometown area in Brockport, New York, uh, next week. And it's part of the book tour, actually. So I will be doing a book presentation. And this kind of almost ties in with what we've been discussing, because I'll, one of the events I'm, I'm doing there is a book reception hosted by the organization where my mother used to work. And so it's it'll be uh, attended largely by her old friends. So I think... That says a lot in a way that I came out to my mother all those decades ago. She didn't have the hardest time, but she didn't have the easiest time accepting me. But now I'm going back to my hometown and I'll be talking in front of all of her friends about being gay and coming out and the and the book and, and all of that. So I think that's a kind of like, like you said, like a happy ending too, that I can go back home and my mother's no longer there, unfortunately, but her friends are. And even her friends who are all different ages, that they are welcoming me and they're making a big deal out of it. So... I think for people who are just starting out and not sure who they are, how they're going to come out, I think the good thing to know is, like they say, it gets better and there can be happy endings and lights at the end of the tunnel and rainbows and all that kind of thing. So there, there can be good news for, for you in the future.
He's so right, it really does get better. A big thank you to Mark for getting in contact with us and offering to share his story. Do you know what's really interesting? There was another person on this podcast who chose to be there when coming out to a parent, but chose not to visually see their reaction. I think it's quite a common thing. I also love the idea that he had of uh, sending a book and articles to educate his mum. It's not a bad idea, is it, to send stuff to our parents? For more information about Mark and to find out all about his book, which is called Prepare for Departure, just go to markchestnut.com. By the way, that's chestnut without a T, so C-H-E-S-N-U-T.com. Oh, and talking of books, have we mentioned that we've got our own book out of some of our favourite coming out stories from the past? It's simply called Coming Out Stories. You'll find it in all good bookstores. Oh, and some exciting news since we last spoke, we've got our first translation. Yes, a big up to the Welsh government have agreed to fund it being translated into Welsh. We are very excited. We'll let you know on our socials when that is out. Oh, and if you'd like to feature on a future episode, do get in contact. You can do that via our website, comingoutstoriespodcast.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at Come Out Stories and on Insta via Coming Out Stories Pod. Next episode, we're off stateside again to meet Day from California. One of the first people he came out to was his girlfriend at the time, who he met while being a student in Jerusalem. That was an all-night walk on the streets of Jerusalem, trying to garner the courage to actually own my truth in her presence. It took until like five in the morning. And as the sun was rising on the hills of Jerusalem, I came out to her and then it was kind of an avalanche moment. So that was the end of our relationship.